0: In his uh, 1996 serial novel entitled The Green Mile, author Stephen King, perhaps you've heard of him, um, introduces a compelling character by the name of John Coffey. Like the drink, only not spelled the same. A strangely mystical figure with a hulking body, John Coffey, whose initials, by the way, JC, are not to be overlooked, is convicted or sentenced rather to death in the electric chair for murders he did not commit. And John Coffey's complex journey along that institutional green mile to the electric chair reveals both his Christ-like ability to heal and his Christ-like capacity for holding human suffering in the deepest chambers of his consciousness with an exhausting intimacy. At one point in the novel, John Coffey gives expression to the multi-layered exhaustion and weariness that he's experiencing in his pilgrimage. This is what he says. I'm rightly tired, boss. I'm tired of the pain I hear and feel. I'm tired of being on the road, lonely as a robin in the rain, not never having nobody to go on with, or tell me where we's coming from, or going to, or why. I'm tired of people being ugly to each other. It feels like pieces of glass in my head. I'm tired of all the times I've wanted to help and couldn't. I'm tired of being in the dark, mostly I'm tired of the pain. There's too much of it in this world. If I could end it, I would. But I can't. And I'll ask you to listen to that first sentence of the lament one more time. John Coffey's lament. I'm rightly tired boss. I'm tired of all the pain I hear and feel. I am rightly tired tired. I remember reading those those words for the first time back in the 1990s when I was a much younger person. I was serving as one of the pastors of a large United Methodist Church in suburban Pittsburgh at the time, living life alongside some incredible people, gifted people, dynamic people, many of whom were absolutely exhausted with grief and pain and loss, and cancer, and divorce, and depression, and vocational uncertainty. And as I took inventory on my life back then, I began, I think, to understand why John Coffey's lament spoke so deeply to my soul. I realized that I had already become intimately familiar with the kind of weariness that John Coffey was describing, even as a 30-year-old pastor. I suspect you've become intimately familiar with this weariness as well. At least some of you. The weariness of which I'm speaking travels beyond what can be ameliorated by a good night's rest or an extended vacation. It's deeper than that. I'm speaking of a soul's exhaustion over the inescapable anguish of a creation that groans for its redemption. It is the weariness of relationships not being the way we want them to be. It's the weariness of a career that demands so much energy but for whatever reason in this particular season affords very little by way of personal fulfillment. It's the weariness of caregiving, the weariness of watching somebody we love continue to deteriorate. It is the weariness, can I say this? It is the weariness of social media. A social media that illuminates the bitter divisions that exist in our church and in our world every single day. It's the weariness of suffering. The news of which resonates in our thoughts even as we try to focus on other things oh i'm weary anne bronte wrote once oh i'm weary though tears no longer flow my eyes are tired of weeping my heart is sick of woe oh i'm weary I wonder how many of you are tapped into that kind of weariness even as we gather for worship on this summer Sunday. I wonder. I wonder how many of you are tired of your, the rhythms of your daily work and what those rhythms demand of you. I wonder how many of you are tired of distorted communication and difficult relationships. I wonder how many of you can identify very easily exceedingly easily with the lament of one John Coffey. Oh, I'm rightly tired, boss, rightly tired. I'm tired of all the pain I hear and feel. I am rightly tired. If this morning's gospel from Matthew reveals to us anything, it's that Jesus takes human exhaustion and weariness seriously perhaps because he himself experienced it. Did you sense any weariness in Jesus words as you listen to this morning's scripture? Here's how the scripture begins with this outcry from Jesus to what will I compare this generation? Which I suppose could be translated this way what am I going to do with these people? To what will I compare this generation? They're like children arguing in public over their playtime. John the Baptist came to these people, Jesus says, and they complained about John the Baptist because he refrained from eating rich food and he refrained from drinking alcohol, which is a reference to John the baptizer's asceticism, his strict self-discipline, about which apparently many of the people complained. John the Baptist came to these people and they complained about him. I come, Jesus continues, by contrast, I come both eating and drinking and they complain about me and call me a drunkard. What do these people want from God? What do you hear in those words? Of course we hear frustration. But when I listen with my heart, this is just an intuitive response to scripture, when I listen to my heart, do you know what I hear? I hear weariness. I don't mean to psychoanalyze Jesus in a way that is inappropriate, but when I read those words, when I listen to them, I hear the spiritual tiredness of a man who is having to deal with the heartbreaking criticism and rejection of the very people he came to save. I think in this moment of scripture, what we find is a Jesus who is weary over people. And can't we relate to that? Because let's be honest, people are exhausting. I'm a strong introvert by personality type. And um, if those of you who define that way or who self identify that way, um, my heart's joined with yours. I'm a strong introvert in terms of how I gather energy but I don't care whether we are introverted or extroverted. Let's acknowledge together that people are exhausting. We love people. We need people, but people are exhausting. And I think Jesus understood that. And what's interesting is that in these moments of what might have been his personal weariness, his personal tiredness, did you notice what Jesus did? He begins to engage with God in prayer which is instructive for us, I think, important for us to make note of. Jesus knew, as we must come to understand, and I don't want this to sound simplistic, but Jesus knew, as we must come to understand, that when we are tired, it is often quiet prayer that affords to a weary soul the opportunity to sit still and rest in the rejuvenating goodness of God's presence. Oh, Father, Jesus prays in this morning's scripture, father still with people in mind clearly father thank you for hiding your truth from people who would seek to manipulate it and thank you for revealing your truth instead to the humble hearts of infants and friends it is out of this experience of prayer perhaps occurring in the moments of jesus own weariness It is out of this experience of prayer that Jesus offers to his disciples a tender and timeless invitation. He offers this invitation to weary disciples. He offers it to a weary church. He offers it to a weary world. He offers this invitation to your weary soul this morning and to mine. And what is this invitation that Jesus offers so graciously, so tenderly? Simply this, come to me all of you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you what? Rest. I simply want you to make certain that you're allowing the words of that invitation to resonate in the deepest chambers of who you are today, because Through faith, I believe with every fiber of my being that the living Christ is extending that invitation to each and every one of you with specificity, caring far more about your weariness than you do, and even holding that weariness alongside you. Listen to the invitation. Believe with me even for a moment that it comes from the very heart of Jesus and extends to your heart. Come to me, all of you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus goes on to say in Scripture, which is a strange image. Those of you who pay attention to imagery, yoke is a strange image because it's not a particularly restful image, right? You know what a yoke is. It's that wooden cross piece fastened around the necks of animals and connected to whatever it is that the animals are pulling. That's what yoke means to us. It's not an image of restfulness. It's an image of work, labor, bondage, servitude. But it's part of what I love about Jesus' teaching. He takes hold of this image and he reconceptualizes it as if to say, hey folks, my yoke ain't like that. My yoke is different than that. My yoke is like is unlike any yoke that you've encountered in this world. My yoke is grace, mercy, love, forgiveness. My yoke is a reordered collection of priorities that will feel to your soul, not like a burden, but like restfulness, new life. Take my yoke upon you, which is unlike any other yoke in the world. Take my yoke upon you and you will find in me rest for your souls. According to scripture, Jesus is many things, many things. He is a savior who delivers us from judgment. He's a redeemer who saves us from sin. He is a Lord who loves to occupy the throne of human hearts and lives. Jesus is all of these things. But today, this morning, in humid July, I'm inviting you to experience Jesus as the giver of rest. The giver of a more profound rest than the soul will experience anywhere else. In Jesus, we find the restfulness, think about it for a moment. In Jesus, we find the restfulness of an authentic primal forgiveness that we cannot generate on our own. In Jesus, we find the restfulness of a sense of purpose, a sense of direction, reconfigured priorities that feel like new life. In Jesus, we find the restfulness of a countercultural love that liberates us from the exhaustion of hatred and resentment. And best of all, in Jesus, we find the restfulness of knowing, truly knowing. That whatever it is that's inspiring us to be weary will not take us beyond the boundaries of what God will heal and transform and redeem and restore. Take my yoke upon you and in me you will find rest for your souls. A couple of years ago, I facilitated a uh, an online, a virtual Bible study during the pandemic. In the middle of the pandemic, and it was attended by clergy and laity from many different churches. And uh, one of the participants in that virtual Bible study was a schoolteacher, a public school teacher, who was at her wit's end. And more specifically, she was at her wit's end with the responsibility and the work of maintaining the integrity and the quality and the creativity of her teaching in the virtual classrooms necessitated by the pandemic. At one point, she shared with the Bible study, I'm just exhausted, I'm frustrated, and I know my students are exhausted and frustrated. And at one point in the Bible study, we came to this very portion of Matthew's gospel where Jesus talks about rest. Come to me, all of you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And it led to this wonderful virtual conversation about what it might mean for us as the church to experience the unique restfulness that only Jesus can provide. We had a wonderful conversation about that. And it was in the midst of that conversation that this school teacher unmuted herself and spoke into that chamber of cyberspace in a way that was powerfully significant. You know, she said, every morning, every morning before class begins, I do something kind of strange. I sit in my study and I put both of my hands on a hard copy of the lesson plan that I have prepared for that day. I Picture the faces of all the students that I'm going to see on my screen that day. And then she said, here's where it gets weird. Because I don't like the sound of my own singing voice, she said, I whisper out loud in my study, the simplest song of faith that I know. I don't know many songs of faith by heart, she said, but I know this one by heart. And I whisper it because I don't want to hear myself singing it. And I change the words slightly to make it more context specific. This is what I whisper every morning before class. She said, hands on my lesson plan. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones and their school teachers to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, and yes, Jesus loves my frustrating, claustrophobic, completely insufficient virtual classroom. The Bible tells me so. (laughs) She chuckled and she said, I don't know whether you're gonna believe me or not, but there's rest in those words for me. There's rest in those words because she added, those words remind me that even this exhausting mess that i'm experiencing as a school teacher right now is not big enough to prevent jesus from wrapping his grace around it there's my rest she said there's my rest and i'm so grateful that she shared those words with a group that desperately needed to hear those words because her words were a reminder to all of us they were certainly a reminder to me that the unique restfulness that we find in Jesus will rarely change our particular circumstances. Have you noticed that? that? The restfulness we find in Jesus will rarely alter our particular circumstances. Those circumstances remain the same, but the restfulness we find in Jesus is that blessed assurance that these circumstances, profound and difficult as they are, will never become expansive enough to prevent Jesus from wrapping transformational, redemptive grace around them. Which is to say the restfulness that we find in Jesus is the blessed assurance that not even our most exhausting circumstances will be given permission to hold dominion over our spirit over our soul over our pilgrimage but let's not become pie in the sky about this because even as I stand here living in a city like this Let's ask this question. What about the person living on the street in New York City, wondering about the next meal and whether or not there's going to be one? Where is rest for that portion of our population? Where is the restfulness of Jesus for that portion of the human community? Let's not gloss over that. And I don't have an exhaustive response But in response to that kind of an inquiry, consider something with me. Consider with me that it might be the case that Christchurch, New York City is at its most Christlike. It might be the case that Christchurch, New York City is at its most Christlike on Sunday afternoons, during the weekly ministry of Sharing Table, something we call Sharing Table, in which a group of volunteers every single Sunday afternoon offers a meal and perhaps a bit of rest to a group of people in our city who desperately need that. And I offer that not as a commercial I offer that to make the point, and this is important, there will be some of us who are able to experience the restfulness of Jesus through our own personal prayer life. What a gift, what a gift. But there will be other souls in this world who will only be able to experience the restfulness of Jesus through the sacrificial ministry of the church. And doesn't that, awaken within you a deeper sense of urgency about the church's ministry? Doesn't that inspire within you a greater sense of excitement about our ministries and outreach like sharing table? Ah. It may be that some of you have come to this sanctuary in a spirit of weariness, spiritually, emotionally, maybe even physically. And if that's the case, if you're dealing with that kind of profound weariness today, I do not have quick fixes for you because I don't think there are any, nor do I have simplistic platitudes. What I do have, what I do have is an open heart and a willingness to join you as together we find rest for our souls in an ever deepening relationship with Jesus. And why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we do that? Because this gracious invitation is one that Jesus continues to extend into the rhythms of our personal exhaustion. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest.